That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, when our listeners are listening to this, they will either be right before Thanksgiving or just after Thanksgiving. Depending or on whether they want maybe during Thanksgiving. Maybe during. Maybe you crept away from the table. <laughs> maybe you're falling asleep in a post-feast coma. Mm. Uh, the tryptophan is making it work in its magic. The tryptophan and the sweet potato casserole. Those mm. perfectly uh, golden brown marshmallows. So, let's get down to business. It's the first Sunday of Advent, which begin, in my opinion, some of the best collect of the whole mm. dang year. Those Good prayers call. that we use in the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, the one for this Sunday is a barn burner. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal. So you get here some great Advent themes. Advent is not in the Episcopal Church and in any church that follows the Advent lectionary readings. It is not the prequel to Christmas. It is not no, Mary sir. getting the Annunciation. It's not Mary filling out her birth registry and taking prenatal vitamins. <laughs> it's not Joseph putting together the crib uh, and uh, making late night runs for whatever Mary's craving. It's not any of that stuff. And it most certainly isn't Happy Holidays. <laughs> We're looking at you, Starbucks, with your red cups, undermining Jesus. Okay, mm-hmm. one latte at a time. I know. Never mind. Uh, what Advent is about, in Advent means coming. It means it comes from the Latin word for coming or arrival. Adventus. And Adventus, and it means we're getting ready for the second coming of Jesus while we are preparing to remember his first arrival. So the readings are and mostly going to be apocalyptic. And the two go hand in hand. That's absolutely because right. So that's why, yeah, come so again. that's why we have that um, uh, in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility. That's his first coming. That's that's Christmas. That's the incarnation. And the last day when he should come again to judge the living and the dead. So Advent's about holding both those things together. And as... Um, as St. Fleming Rutledge says, Advent begins in the dark. It mm-hmm. begins in the dark both in so many levels. The year is getting darker. The, the light is darker. There's less light this time of year. We are talking about the works of darkness in this opening collect, uh, which underlines it pretty quickly. Um, and we talk about the coming of the light of Christ into this time. And so... Uh, and I think in people's lives, in congregations, Christmas is, quote-unquote, the most wonderful time of the year. But that's mostly marketing. Uh, in actual fact, this time of year is exceedingly difficult because of the memories of loss, 
that makes this time of year more painful. It is difficult because you're spending more time with family, uh, which can bring up lots of things for people. It is more difficult because you're spending lots of money, many people who don't really have it and are spending it. Um, there's just a lot of pressure. There's a lot of stress. It's a difficult time. And so when we say Advent begins in the dark, all those things are in the mix there. And scripturally, we get um, a lot of gifts in the season of Advent uh, because we are looking at um, a God who sees and knows that we're in the dark and wants to send mm. the light in that. So that's yeah. the, it for my like Advent, um, you know, setting the stage here. Jake, would you want to add anything to that? <clears throat> no, I think, um, and our readings really articulate that today. And uh, all of the readings through Advent articulate the fact that we are in darkness, but a light, the light has shone in the darkness and uh, the darkness has not overcome it. And so, mm. Our first reading, Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 through 16. Um, uh, well, let me say what they all are. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. And Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 36. Now, Jeremiah specifically is written in a dark period of Israel's history. Um, they are about to go into exile. And... Um, and uh, everything is going to be laterally destroyed by Tiglath-Pileser III. And um, Jeremiah, though, um, has a vision in the midst of darkness, and this vision is of um, a glorious light. Uh, and it almost seems impossible, uh, but this is what makes Advent so wonderful, is that you can remind your congregation in the heaviness of light, life, in the darkness of life. Um, the light has shone in the darkness, and it's hanging on to you, and it won't let go. You know, one of the things a lot of people don't know about Tiglath-Pileser was that his son was a very successful ruler as well, Tiglath-People-Pileser. <laughs> Dude, you are like the king of dad jokes. I I'm just here all week, it. folks. <laughs> I'm here all week. Try the veal. Tip your waiter. <laughs> all right. No, but so, so I, I thought you were really yeah. going to say something profound. <laughs> so um, I know. It's all about the dead Dave, delivery. I need a new co-host. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't get one. You're stuck with me, contractually bound. No, so, but I mean, I love this. When I fulfilled the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So now they're two divided states. But in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous, what? A righteous branch, singular. This would have struck everybody kind of, um, this would have blown people's mind. What do you mean a branch? Don't you mean branches, Jeremiah? You know, uh, we're, the we're, we're the branches off the vine, you know what I mean? But it's one it's singular to spring forth from, up from David. And this one shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And this one who does it ultimately does it by um, going to the darkest place on earth, uh, Golgotha, and taking upon uh, the justice and righteousness that is owed to God upon himself. And, uh, and this is why in those days... Uh, Jerusalem and Judah will be saved. And why? Because um, we become the new Jerusalem. Uh, we are the Israel of God or the Judah of God, and um, we live in safety in Him. No matter how dark it actually gets, a death in Him will not have the final say. And this is why uh, the name by which it will be called is the Lord is our righteousness. 
uh, because this is uh, what we cry out and this is what we shout uh, when everything appears to be unrighteous. Uh, we look to that light that shines in the darkness. Yeah, it's not our righteousness. It's righteousness that's given to us. It's from the Lord. That's right. And I think the... Um, the people that heard this promise did not expect Jesus. They didn't understand this that way. They mm-hmm. absolutely thought it meant Them. another king in the line of David would rule and unite Israel, and it was a political deal. Like we talked about last week for Christ the King, um, the, that hope for a political Messiah is absolutely um, understandable based on passage like this. But this, as we know in Jesus... Uh, this was about him, and it's pointing to him, and so we have the ad, the the benefit of of seeing that in hindsight. And I think uh, it's it's you know one of the things I would say about this is it what it means is again kind of building on themes from last Sunday. We will never have this um, promise from Jeremiah happen literally on Earth um, in terms of an earthly and human kingdom. Uh, when it's talking about Judah and Jerusalem, it is not talking about a region and a city. It's talking about what those places represent. Um, and it's talking about, and because when it talks about this righteous branch to spring up for David, it's not talking about a king who sits on a throne and has a cabinet and rulers and, you know, uh, runs a post office and a military. He's talking about Jesus Christ, who when he comes to execute justice and righteousness in the land, it's not to stack the Supreme Court or to beef up the police force uh, and be a political ruler. It's to, in his own person, receive the execution, <laughs> receive the justice, receive the um, the punishment for the sins of the world, uh, and um, so that he may offer grace and freedom to the rest of us. So, I know it's just uh, five verses here. We've said a lot about it, but there's a lot to say. So, uh, unless your name is Ben Madison, you can preach on this passage. And so, let's turn now to First Thessalonians. Jake is shaking his head because that's two episodes in a row. I've shamed my former curate, but uh, we'll stop. He's I'll a stop good now. man. He is a good man, and, I, and we love him a lot. Some Marcionite tendencies, but he's a good man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and if and if you if you live anywhere in the um, greater Philadelphia metro area, uh, where Ben is the director of uh, Holy Trinity Winona in New Jersey, just across the border there with Pennsylvania, uh, get thee to that church. All right. So First Thessalonians chapter three, verses nine through thirteen, where Paul is wrapping up his letter. Likely, this is the first. Uh, the earliest of Paul's letters chronologically in terms of when they were written, um, we don't get it until after the big hits of uh, Romans and First and Second Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then we begin to get into these little letters. So First Thessalonians, Paul was dealing with an early Christian community that was uh, wrestling with the reality of death, that Christians are dying before Jesus has returned, and what is that all about? But at the end of the letter, he's kind of beginning to wrap up and just... Uh, tell them how much he loves them and how great they are, and to say a prayer for them, which is typically, you know, how you would end a letter with a with a blessing. And so, he's saying, we feel joy because of you. Uh, we pray night and day, again, night and day, kind of that Advent light and dark theme there, um, that we may see you face to face and restore whatever's lacking in your faith. So, one of the things to note here is that Paul is writing to people from whom he has divided. He is, he is physically separate from them. He loves them. He used to be there, but now he's not. And there's something about uh, um, 
the longing within Christian communities to be with the people you love, but you can't always be there. And that's um, another theme this time of year that can be developed. Um, this wanting to be together post COVID, all that being separated from people we love, churches that have been separated and this longing to be back together. That's what he's talking about. Um, and of course the key Advent theme, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ at the end. And this is, if I were preaching, <clears throat> excuse me, preaching on this, I would really emphasize this. Let me take a little drink here. Paul says, may God, this is at the end, may he, may God, so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So as we look to the coming of Jesus, a lot of people get scared about that because he's going to come to judge the living and the dead. And judgment is inherently a scary word, and we worry about where we will fall on that day. And what Paul's prayer here reminds us is that it is not we ourselves who have to white-knuckle our way to holiness and pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps to make ourselves good enough for Jesus when he returns. Paul reminds us that it is God who does the work. As Paul will say in his other letters, Paul, that God will bring to completion the work that he started in you. And here the way Paul says it is, may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless. So it's God is the one who's doing the work. He strengthens your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless. You don't have to muster up some pious feelings and muster up the motivation to go out there and be a perfect person and all that. So remember, sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer. And so uh, to people who are anxious and who are afraid of being outed or exposed as a hypocrite, as a, um, there's all kinds of things that people keep secret in their lives. And um, the idea of Jesus coming again uh, is maybe scary. And this is, I think, where I would begin the sermon, um, talking about um, how terrified we are of being seen. Um, I heard a story recently from the author Lori Gottlieb in her book, You Should See, You Should Talk to Someone. It's a, she's a therapist writing about getting therapy. And she quotes Andrew Sullivan, the writer, who says he once met some people at a, at a conference, two people in a married couple. He, was, he met them independently. And when he met the first person, this person confessed to him that they are taking antidepressants but they don't want their partner to know because they would judge them or they would be embarrassed or something. Then he later meets the other person in this couple who confesses to him that he or she is taking antidepressants but doesn't want his partner to know. So two people, married couple, both taking the same antidepressants in the same house and both hiding it from each other, which I think is an apt description of most human beings who are hiding stuff from people. So when we talk about the coming of Jesus, it can be something where we're nervous about getting exposed, getting audited, uh, as it were. But all that to say is I would begin there to make people a little bit existentially aware and awake um, and connected personally. And then you say, and in that scary place where you never want people to see who you really are, this is where Jesus comes to do his work so that you don't need to be afraid or ashamed when he mm, comes. That's good. Okay. So Luke 21, signs, signs, everywhere the signs. Yeah, that's right. Walking up the scenery, breaking my mind. That was a, re a cover of a song. I knew it by Tesla when I was in middle school. The band Tesla has nothing to do with Elon Musk. Um, I hope the boys in the band Tesla got paid well for the use of their name. Mm -hmm. Actually, I hope old the estate of Nikolai Tesla. Maybe he's getting some royalties from Elon. Anyways, 
Jesus is talking, this end of the Gospel of Luke, uh, this is near the end of his life. And talking about signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars in the earth. This is not astrology. This is just sort of first century way of talking about um, when things are bad. Uh, and uh, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem uh, in 70 AD, which would, again, that would come in about four decades after this mm -hmm. passage. Um, but he's also talking, like you often do in scripture, on two layers. So he's talking about something that would happen in the world in 40 years, but he's also talking about the the sort of future uh, apocalyptic, which means revealing uh, um, truth of of Jesus coming again. But I will say um, that in terms of what you want to preach on and get into here, I think it is important to mention that Jesus was talking about Jerusalem. People read this and they think it's, um, I don't know, there, there's a lot of left behind stuff that they sort of get into when they read this. Um, but uh, the, the thing that I would want to talk about is the permanence of Jesus and the impermanence of everything else. So talking about the destruction of Jerusalem is like talking about the destruction of the White House. What was that movie? It wasn't like Morgan Freeman prison oh. or something. <laughs> yeah, where they blow up the White House. Or anything else that's like permanent and or the you know people talk a lot about the United States, which as a citizen of this country, I appreciate so much about it. Um and uh, but it is very young, and it is a very new country. And uh, after traveling in Europe this summer, realized what every American realizes who travels uh, in other places that we have not been around that long. And in every place I walked, um, there have been so many different people in charge in so many different countries with different names and different political systems over thousands of years. Um, you realize the temporariness and the um, sort of fragility of human systems of power. So to the extent that you're looking for any hope in that, case mm. continue to carry on the themes for Christ the King, you will be disappointed. And Jesus here says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And in, in other words, everything is temporary except for Jesus, mm. except for as God has revealed himself to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, which is why you don't get, uh, why you don't uh, get weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness, yeah. which is like the New, the New Testament equivalent of like Netflix and a six pack. Yeah, I think, absolutely. I think, you know, go into the signs. This is, um, you know, in the, I believe the Olivet Discourse in Jesus is uh, where he's teaching. And, you know, you want to drop that on your uh, listeners so they feel feel like you're smart but um he Meaning says on the mount of olives he's up he there says, there yeah. will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth distress among the nations i mean these things are happening and then they will see um they're happening right now if you will and um and the fact and the big idea that is coming here is that because jesus has come once this is the point of the fig tree um the parable of the fig tree is that jesus is all of these signs that because this has happened once, um, it most certainly will happen again. But like as you said, it's really easy because um, life isn't short. Uh, life is actually long. And uh, there are moments in, you know, just gosh, where it just seems to go on forever and we seem to lose hope and we wonder, is he ever going to return? And uh, this is the point is that uh, when um, it is so easy for the mind to doubt and to think that darkness is all there is, 
But um, what Jesus is reminding us is is that these promises are true. And it's kind of like... um, being being in New York City at 5 a.m. It looks it looks like nighttime right now when you're out at 5 a.m. But make no mistake about it, it is morning and the sun will rise. And so uh, Jesus is reminding us that all of these signs, uh, specifically his death and his resurrection, um, because that has happened, you can be sure that he will return again. And so um, that's uh, that's what I would say on this particular passage. Yeah, and I think one thing you could add if you wanted to was just to talk, uh, you can't address this thing where Jesus says, be on your guard, that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. Uh, A lot of people use that to kind of bash their congregation to feel bad about ever having fun. I mean, obviously, alcoholism and addiction of any kind is something that um, is a disease that people want relief and recovery, and there are options for that. So I'm not saying... um, uh, don't hear me say like um, that Jesus is not saying these things are bad. He's absolutely saying these things are bad. But don't use it as a way to shame your congregation into feeling bad for, um, you know, being concerned with the things of this world. I think what mm-hmm. Jesus is saying here is if you think this world is all there is, the result is incredible anxiety and stress and you will want to numb and escape. So, because he, he ties it all together, what you, hearts being weighed down, that's a powerful image, weighed down, heavy, mm. um, with dissipation, drunkenness, and the worries of this life. Um, if you are someone who's wrapped up in the worries of this life, with your status, with your career, um, with temporary identity markers and things like that, uh, that is too much for people to carry, and you will be in this hopeless place where you tend to try to distract yourself through quote-unquote dissipation and drunkenness, whatever those things look like in your life. And so what Jesus is inviting his hearers and us to do is to is to realize that this is not all there is um, and to open our eyes to sort of that vision we had last week in Christ the King with Revelation. Jesus is the King of Kings. He's on his throne. He's the one who has freed us and who loves us, again, as that passage said. So I think that's something I, if you want to talk about that, you can I mean, worries of this life is something everybody can relate to and being feeling like your heart is heavy because of that. Mm-hmm. And um, so Jesus is inviting us to realize that this is not all there is. There is something way more. Uh, mm-hmm. But it begins with looking at Jesus Christ, the one who loves us and frees us. Yeah, and then finally, be alert at all times, you know, sure. Uh, but praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and stand before the Son of Man. And I think in the midst of that, that's one of the ways we stay alert is... Um, is is through prayer, um, and that is because prayer reminds us that um, God is not an abstraction, um, but that He's faithful and that He's our Father, and uh, He has uh, the best intentions for us. Yep. And like my Greg, my friend Greg in high school had a shirt that said, "Be alert. The world needs more alerts." <laughs> Dad joke supreme. <laughs> Way to kick it off. All right. Well, I think that'll do us for Advent 1. Don't put up your tree, or if you do, just know that it's a sin. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll see you again next week for the second Sunday of Advent. Until then, uh, God bless you. All right. And keep those those, uh, letters or emails or DMs coming. Uh, You can write me at Zimmermania on Twitter or SOSMbird on Instagram, or you can email info at mbird.com.
Hasta bye bye. Happy Advent. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.